So when I was in college, I was, uh, I got a degree in civil engineering, and so there were a couple summers where I had an internship with a construction company to follow around project managers and estimators and learn that industry. Uh, and, and there was one day where a project manager came to me and he said, Thomas, we have a job that we want you to do, and, but you're going to need to get a work truck and drive out to one of the sites and go do something all by yourself. Are you okay with that? I was so excited. They're going to let me do something. And the intern, yeah, whatever, whatever it is, I'll do it. So, so the project manager explained to me they had a quarry with a road that went down into it. And this road had a dip at the bottom and it flooded whenever it rained. And there was a hill at the top that caused a blind, like a, like a, you know, there was not a good line of sight. And they said, we've been thinking for a while, we need to take and cut the top of that hill and put the dirt at the bottom and we need someone to go out there and estimate how much dirt do we need to cut right there so we can fill the dip. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go do that. I didn't know how to do that. I went and I found a 100-foot-long wheel of tape measure, and then I found this other tool uh, that was really cool. I was really impressed with it. It was like a level, but it was digital, and when you set it on the ground, it not only told you if something was level, it told you the slope that it was at. So I took that tool, and I went to the job site, and I started measuring at the top of the hill. I would measure the width. I would take a slope reading, and I would write it down in my notebook. I'd go 50 more feet, and I would do it again. And I did that for a couple hours that morning. I had a, a, a bunch of data points in my notebook. And so I, I, I finished that part and I thought, well, I guess I, guess I got to go make sense of this. So I drove back to the office. And on my way back to the office, I realized I was going to have an opportunity to use my calculus knowledge that I had learned at the end of high school and beginning of college. You see, if you have the slope of something, you can do the integral and you get the elevation points. And then you can use other calculus you know, applications, you, you can find the area under the curve, find how much, how much dirt to cut. To, I just lost like half of you that aren't math people. <laughs> and, I, and if that made, you a, it made, made it a less than worshipful experience, I'm really sorry. Uh, I got really excited and I spent the rest of the afternoon and part of the next day uh, using my calculus knowledge, graphing this road, uh, using more calculus and doing calculations I finished it in a report that I gave to the project manager. And when I gave him the report, the look on his face was one of shock, which I took to be that he was very impressed with what I did. <laughs> he said, Thomas, did you do all of this? And it must have taken a lot of time. I said, yeah, and this is how I did it, and this is how I used calculus. And, and he looked at it a little more and he said, well, it's probably not far off. Uh, but, you know, usually we don't spend nearly this much time on a project like this. So next time, why don't, maybe you just ask, hey, how do you want me to do this? And we can give you better tools and a better method. <laughs> you see, I didn't have the tools for the job or the knowledge of how to do it. And it caused me quite a bit of strife. I had to try far harder than I, than I really needed to. I put a lot more time and energy into this project than should have been put into it. And I didn't even necessarily get the results that he was looking for. It was fun, you know, <laughs> until I realized I didn't impress the project manager quite as much as I thought I did. And uh, man, when we don't have the right tools for the job, it, it, it's a recipe for something that doesn't work well. 
And if you're like me, it doesn't work well because it makes you work harder. And it might even build up and use some self-righteousness about how good you are at using calculus or trying something new and perfecting something because you're relying on your own willpower. Uh, it also could lead you to just give up. We've probably all seen people coming to a new role, get hired by a company, and maybe because their supervisor didn't give them the tools, maybe because they just didn't have them to start with, uh, they found that they didn't know how to do their role, and eventually they just kind of said, man, I'm, I, I think I need to find a new job. This isn't working out well. Or they faded into the background and worked on autopilot for as long as they would last. I think this is uh, how the Christian life works in a lot of ways. I think in the Christian life, we all know that God wants us to live up to a certain standard, right? We know that God wants us to love God with all that we have. We know uh, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We know that we're called to have Christ-like character, to have lives that uh, look different. But if we don't have the right tools or knowledge for how to get that life, I think we end up with these two options. We can be legalists and spend all our own effort trying to perfect our lives. And we do that as far as it takes us. And then uh, when there's still holes, what we do, we try to cover them up and make our lives look really pretty on the outside, right? We try to make ourselves look like, yeah, I really am a loving and good and Christ-like person, even though deep in here, we're not. Or we get discouraged and we say, you know what, this is kind of a high standard and I'm, I know I can't do that. So maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll just keep living the way I wanna live and hope that God's grace covers me in the end. Maybe God doesn't really care about how I live my life because I'm already forgiven and we'll just let that be that. Well, we're gonna look at Galatians today and the wisdom of Paul in Galatians is that neither of those is a good option. Specifically with the Galatians, Paul's talking to a group of churches who have tried to become very legalistic. Uh, they're trying to follow the letter of the law in order to live a Christ-like life. And what he tells them is, uh, there's a better way. That's not going to get you where you're trying to go anyways. The other thing he guards against, though, is he says that this, this doesn't mean you have to fall to the other extreme and just have a lawlessness and a disregarding of how you live your life. There's a, there's a better way, and that better way is the Holy Spirit. So as we let Paul teach us some wisdom about the Holy Spirit, about things we need to hear, let's pray. Let's ask God to open our hearts to this message this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful that you're here with us. We're thankful that you have good things for us planned today. We ask God, would you come and speak to us through your word, through Paul's wisdom through the ways that you've used that to teach the church uh, through the centuries. We pray that you come and teach us today in our own lives and in our church as a whole. Show us how we can follow your Holy Spirit, how we can be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live the life you have called us to live. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Paul starts off in Galatians 5, giving us the answer. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That word, walk by the Spirit, it's not talking about individual steps. It really is talking about a lifestyle change. He's, he's saying, have a lifestyle that is led and guided by and transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
And what's also interesting about the word walk by, uh, there's this phrase that comes up throughout the Old Testament where God's communicating with his people. He's saying, here's the standards that I've set for you. And at the end of that, he says, walk by the statutes of the law. Paul knows that, and he knows that his audience in Galatia would, would recognize that. And so what he's really telling them is, don't walk by the statutes of the law. Don't trust the law as the power to live the life you're called to live. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Walk by the power of the Holy Spirit instead. And he gives us a reason for doing that. He says, if you do this, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And I need to explain that a little bit. The flesh is sometimes translated as sinful nature. And what Paul means there, when he says the word flesh, he means that part of us that was affected by the fall, where deep inside us, we have this tendency to choose the things that are not of God instead of to choose God. We have this tendency to choose sin, and we by ourselves don't have enough willpower to overcome that tendency. And uh, all of us have that, by the way. We like to hide it from each other and pretend like it's not there, minimize it. It's there. It's, it's okay to acknowledge that that's there sometimes. So Paul, uh, Paul tells us if we live by the Spirit, uh, we won't, that, that's actually the way we're going to not fall into those sinful habits and patterns. And then he gives us a picture of what this looks like. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul's describing that, that inner struggle that we all feel at times, where maybe there's a part of our lives where God's gotten a hold of us and we're saying, yeah, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to love this person over here, even though they're hard to love. I want to love them. I want to be good to them, be generous to them. But then there's a part of our hearts they kind of say the opposite, right? That voice in the back of our head that speaks up, but yeah, but they don't deserve it. Yeah, but wouldn't it be more fun to get revenge? And, and then we have this internal argument where we go back and forth, do I want to love this person or not love this person? Uh, but how can I do that in a way where people think I'm good, right? And what, what Paul says is that that internal argument between the flesh and the spirit, that, that's actually by design. And here's what I mean. I have a one-year-old son. Uh, he's actually 15 months old. His name is Everett. Everett is walking pretty good now, running sometimes, uh, and he seems to be able to get into everything he's not supposed to get into. Like, he just has this way of doing it. This weekend, it was the toilet, <laughs> right? He found that he could dip wipes in the toilet and then fling them around and put them in his mouth, and we were like, oh my gosh, we're the worst parents ever. Um, yeah. So we had family meetings about why you close the bathroom door and why you close the toilet seat. Um, there's certain things we can do to remove breakable objects from his reach, and we do that. But there's some things that we just don't have enough uh, precautionary ability to deal with, right? There's some things that no matter how hard we try, there's always something he can get into, like his sister's toys. And so what we've found when he's getting into his sister's toys or something like that, uh, if we tell him no, a lot of times that makes the problem worse. That makes him a little more interested. And isn't that how we work, right? Someone tells us, don't do that. And we're like, oh, but now I kind of want to. So you know what we found with Everett? Instead of telling him no, there's one or two or three toys that are like his favorite. And if we get that favorite toy, 
and we hold it in front of him and we kind of move it back and forth and he'll start to follow it with his eyes. And then, and then we bring it a little over here and he follows it and then he grabs it and all of a sudden his attention is totally focused on this new toy. Not the new toy, the favorite toy. And he's out of the danger area, right? This, uh, Abigail's uh, toys are now safe and everyone's happy. I think this is how God works with us sometimes. I think he knows that if he just gives us a list of things and says, hey guys, don't do these things, whatever you do, that in itself is not powerful enough to transform us. In some ways, that's just going to dry out the worst in us because we're going to want to do it. But if he can distract us, if God can captivate us with something that is so much greater, like the Holy Spirit, then then that's actually what's powerful enough to pull us away from those things that are bad for us, to pull us away from the habits that we feel stuck by, to pull us away from the, the works of the flesh. And I think, you know, I just told you, like, God treats us like a one-year-old sometimes. Don't be offended. I think sometimes we act like one-year-olds in front of God, so that's probably appropriate. But I think God does this by design because he knows uh, we need something more powerful than our own willpower to pull us out of the sinful habits in our life. Uh, that, that last line there, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That doesn't mean we, you don't have to follow God's rules and commandments. What it means is that it's, it's the power of the law is not the power that we're relying on. Instead, we're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have this great concept, right? And because I'm like math engineer minded, I love concepts. This concept is uh, on our own, we can't reach the, the level we're trying to. Uh, if we have the Holy Spirit, then there's this possibility for transformation and living in a Christ-like life. But for some of us, a concept is not nearly enough. We kind of need uh, an example. So Paul gives us some examples. He gives us a negative example and a positive example. And most of the time, we would probably like to skip the negative example. I'm not going to let us do that this morning, though. So uh, be ready. Here's the negative example. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a long list. And he even adds on in those who do such things. So like things like these, right? The thing to understand about this list, uh, this list is not a new Ten Commandments or 16 Commandments, however you want to count it. It's not a list of things where we need to say, all right, as long as I don't do these, then I can live the godly life. This is actually, this is a list that shows us what does a life without the Holy Spirit look like? What does it look like when we don't have that power of the Spirit to transform us, when we're totally given over to the flesh? It looks like this. Now, it appears like it's a very random list, but there's actually some organization to it. And so real quick, I want to look at that. The first three are all sexual sins. Uh, this would have been uh, expected because that word flesh has kind of a carnal sin uh, implication to it. The next two are religious sins, idolatry and sorcery. They're relying on gods or, or spirits or powers that are not the God, Right? Uh, th so those, those first five, they would have been really obvious to the church in Galatia. You can imagine like 60 years ago, 
if you were going to talk to a group of good church people about the sins of the world, you might say, you might start your list of sins of the world 60 years ago with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, (laughs) right? And no one would argue with you. They would be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's bad, bad, bad. That's kind of what Paul's doing in this list. Um, and, And it's not, I mean, these are wrong. Those are bad ways to live. But he's, he's starting with some things that are going to get no pushback because the churches in Galatia are convinced that uh, they should not live in that same way that the pagan Roman culture lives. The last two terms are the similar kind of thing, uh, drunkenness and orgies. Those are ways where the church in Galatia already knows we should not engage in that. We're called to something better. But the middle eight terms, that's where it really gets interesting. See, the middle eight terms, uh, they might not be on your major sin list, right? But here's the middle eight. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. You know what those middle eight are? Those are not the sins that we only see out in the world. Those are not like the the worst and the, the biggest name kind of sins. Those are the sins that creep in unnoticed. Those are especially the sins that creep in unnoticed to a community And I think what Paul's trying to do is to show the Galatians that as much as they're trying to follow all the rules and be these perfect law-abiding people, they're missing some things. And we know this because the verse right before this passage and the verse right after this passage uh, calls out the Galatians and how they're living and how they're not really loving each other well. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then at the very end, uh, after this passage, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What Paul's saying is that even though the Galatians are trying their hardest to follow all the law, it's, it's not working. There's still ways where they have the flesh coming through in their lives. And it might not be the major sin categories, right? The major things we, we jump to. It's not the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of first century Galatia but it's still things that the Holy Spirit wants to transform in their lives. I wonder for us, what what would that middle eight terms be if Paul was writing a letter to our Bethany community? And he had some very obvious things that we're all agreed upon that we shouldn't do this. And he ended with some very obvious things that we shouldn't live like this. What would the middle eight ones be? The sinful behavior that we sometimes push to the side or ignore because we say, no, it's, it's not that bad. Nobody's perfect. Everybody does this sometimes. That's kind of unavoidable, right? I think in a lot of ways, we construct a major sin list and a minor sin list. And we do that because it makes us feel like even though I'm still falling into some stuff, I can kind of explain it away. And what what this is speaking to us is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to transform your lives away from the big sins. The Holy Spirit wants to transform even the small details of your lives and how, you, how we treat one another. I think this just gives us something to think about. Paul, oh, I need to, I can't just not address this. The, the last sentence there, it says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That, that's kind of a scary thing to hear. And the qualification I want to give you is it's talking about habitual patterns of sin And so it's still a scary thing. I think what Paul's talking about is that inheriting the kingdom of God is not just we get forgiven at the end of this life. It also involves a transformation in this life by the Holy Spirit. 
And what he's telling the Galatians is, uh, if you really want the fullness of salvation, what you need is not just a forgiveness. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and transform your life. And now we're going to look at what that looks like. Paul's going to give us the picture of the positive. What does this look like to have the Holy Spirit transform your life? He says, it looks like fruit coming off a tree. This is actually how he says it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Didn't that sound good? Wouldn't you want to have a life where those are the things that uh, come out of your life? You know, maybe the first important thing to say about this is that the fruit of the Spirit, that list is not the checklist of the things that we need to will into being in ourselves. That's not the rules of the classroom for being a Christian where we need to try in our own effort not to get out of line. You know what they call that when you try to have the fruit of the Spirit just in your outward behavior? They, They call that fruit stapling. I've heard someone call it fruit stapling. Fruit stapling is when you take an unhealthy tree and then you try to staple healthy fruit to it to make it look good, right? I know, we're all guilty of that in some ways, I'm sure, because we don't want people to think we're, we're bad Christians. We want to be good Christians, so we try to kind of pretty ourselves up, kind of like we dress up for church on Sunday, and we make it look like on the outside, we really do love God, we really do love people, we really do have Christ-like character, but on the inside there's still brokenness. There's still that sinful inclination that drives us. And at some point, we, we, you, you can't hide that all the way. And then the other thing, I mean, you can't hide it from God, right? Paul's saying what we need is not to try to staple fruit onto bad trees. We don't just need to pretty up the outside of our lives. What we really need is we need change on the inside. We need a heart transplant. We need the Holy Spirit to come and to transform us. And so when I look at this list, uh, I think it it might be useful, not as a rule list, but as a self-examination list. Maybe that's a useful uh, way to use this scripture. You know, when I look at my life, where do I see this fruit of the Spirit? What fruit of the Spirit do I see in my life, especially in the places in my life where it's not natural for me to act that way? And that might be places where you see God at work. You're like, man, God brought that about. The Holy Spirit is transforming me. On the inside, it's leading to external change. The harder question is, you have to look at that list. You have to ask, where do I constantly lack fruit of the Spirit in my life? Which fruit of the Spirit just isn't there? And what that shows us Not that we're bad Christians and we need to feel bad about ourselves. It shows us that we need to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and continue to make us new. It means that we still need more of the Holy Spirit. We have to open our lives up. So maybe we look at our lives and I don't know if you're a parent, maybe you look at how you're parenting and you notice, oh man, there is a lack of patience in my parenting. Like, I try to follow all the good parenting guidelines. Uh, I, I went to the Love and Logic class, and I learned a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm trying to put it into practice, but when my kid does this one thing, I just lose it. And then there's yelling, and then there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and no one's happy. The whole family just got miserable, and family vacation got ruined, right? You know, parenting classes are good. Uh, if you're a parent, I hope you get a chance to do that. Parenting classes don't change your heart, though. 
if, if it's a patience problem, you don't need a parenting class, and you might still need a parenting class, but what you really need, you need to invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to give you the fruit of patience. And your part in that is to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I give up on my own. I can't do this anymore. Come, come, and, come and change me, come and transform me. Maybe for some of you, it's that self-control. Man, some, some days I feel like if Paul left that off the list, I would just feel better about myself, right? <laughs> self-control. Maybe you look at your life and you see that there's ways that you succumb to instant gratification. Maybe, and all of us have these in some ways. So I'm gonna give some examples, but uh, there's probably plenty that I leave off. I'm sorry if I left off your pet sin. Food, maybe, you, maybe food is your instant gratification. Maybe drink, alcohol. Maybe pornography. Maybe shopping. Maybe social media. There, maybe, there's a lot of others. I mean, you're thinking about it in your head right now. You're like, this, that, he didn't say mine. Or he, dang it, he did say mine. If, if one of those or something else is the problem, there's a lack of self-control, you know, we can remove the temptation from our lives for a time. And that's a good decision. Uh, just like closing the bathroom door is good for my son. But at some point, the long-term fix, what we really need, guys, we need the Holy Spirit to come and to make us over on the inside, to transform our lives, to give us self-control. That's the power that's gonna rescue us so we're not in bondage anymore. And that's what Paul's saying here is that the fruit of the Spirit comes about when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to change us in a deep way. It changes how we live our lives. So Paul's given us a concept, uh, then he's given us a bad example and a good example, and now he's going to tell us what to do. He's going to leave us with two things. One is something that we've already started doing, and he's going to tell us to continue. The other thing uh, may or may not be something new. Uh, here's the two things. The first one, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What Paul's saying is that when you place your faith in Christ, the beginning of that journey, there's this agreement that you're making with God that you're not going to live according to the ways of the flesh. And like I, I like to explain to our confirmands when we're doing pastor interviews and we get to talk to them about uh, making sure they really want to get confirmed and that's really their decision and that they understand the commitment they're making to Christ. And what I always explain is that being a Christian means that you are going to trust Jesus as both your Savior and as your Lord. Now, there's days when it would seem really convenient for us if Jesus would just be my Savior, but continue to let me be the Lord of my own life, right? Let me have the forgiveness, but God, I, I really would just like to live the way I want to live. I want to be the boss of me. And what, what I like to remind the confirmands, and, and I do that because I need to remind myself, is that it's a package deal, Following Jesus, we give up the idea that we can uh, save ourselves, that we can work ourselves to God. And we also have to give up the idea that we get to be in charge of our lives. We let God be in charge of our lives. Now, what Paul's saying is that when you became a Christian, you made that decision. And that's good. Uh, I was looking in our, in our baptismal covenant, we have these, uh, this call and response for those being confirmed or baptized. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin. And if, you are, uh, if, if, if you're wanting to place your faith in Christ, you say, I do. And then we ask this, do you accept the freedom and power God gives to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And if you're wanting to place your faith in Christ, 
you answer with a loud, I do. And, and then, you know, what I really thought was cool, the prayer we pray over people right after they get baptized or confirmed is this, Holy Spirit, work within you, that being born through water in the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. So that, that decision to commit to Christ, whenever it happens in your life, it's a decision to let go of the flesh, let go of the sinful nature, and to have your hope in the Holy Spirit. What Paul's saying is that can't just be a one-time decision. We have to wake up and make that decision again every day. Are we going to walk by the flesh in the old ways we live life? Or are we going to let the Holy Spirit come in and transform us? And if we decide we're going to let the Holy Spirit come in and transform us, here's Paul's closing words of advice to us, his closing wisdom. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying if we want to live in a new way of life, that's marked by the Holy Spirit, we can't just passively hope that it happens. But we have to do something intentional to make sure that we are staying in step. It reminded me of marching band, right? I know some of you marching band or you had kids in marching band and I can remember my band director trying to teach us how to use our peripheral vision when we're on the field to see where everyone else is so we could see both how to stay in step and so we can see where we need to be in our formation. And, and I think that's a great example. We can't just kind of take a reference point and then go off and do our own thing for a long time and then maybe one time later, a number of days or weeks or months later, do another reference point. It's a constant throughout the day. All right, Holy Spirit, am I lined up with you? Oh, you're moving ahead, okay, let me, let me, let me line up. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're calling me to pull back in this area of my life. Let me, let me respond to that because I want to line up with the Holy Spirit. Uh, oh, Holy Spirit, you're inviting me to love my neighbor. Oh, Holy Spirit, that's hard. I'm going to need some help with that one. Help me, Holy Spirit. And that's this process that happens each and every day. I find for myself to do this well, I have to purposefully slow down. I have to take time to sit and be with God. So journaling, solitude, those things that don't come naturally to me, that feel unproductive, those are the things I need most so I can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The other thing for me is a community. You know, I have a group of pastors and seminary students that I meet with, a small group. It's, it's like a band meeting accountability group. And every week we share with each other, uh, how is the Holy Spirit transforming my life? How am I uh, being an obstacle to the Holy Spirit transforming my life? And how do I need to keep living in a way to invite the Holy Spirit in? This is, the, uh, one of the, this is really similar to what grow groups do. Grow groups are there so you can process what's going on in my relationship with God. And in processing that, what, what you're able to do is you learn how to be more aware of the Holy Spirit so that you can be intentional about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Those are things that help me. The, the question is not what helps me. What, the question each of us has to ask this morning, what helps you keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Are we going to be a church of people who try to be as best as we can on our own, who pretty our lives up on the outside, look like good Christian people? Or are we gonna be a church of people who want the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Are we going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and give us new life from the inside out? 
Are we going to take time to keep in step with the Spirit each day? And, and I'll give you this warning. It's a journey. You're not going to get there in one day. It's a lifelong journey. How is God calling you to take a step forward in that journey uh, this week? Will you pray with me? Lord God, we need you. God, we wish that we could do this life on our own. But time and time again, we're reminded that we don't, we don't have what it takes. God, we're thankful, though, that you do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and give us your Holy Spirit. Come and give us a power that is bigger than ourselves. Show us how we can yield our lives to the Holy Spirit and invite the Spirit in. Come and transform those parts of our life that we try to hide from you and from others so that we can uh, be made into people who really have the good fruit that you bring about in our lives. We know we can't do this alone, so we're asking for you to come and give us new life by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us a church that is being made new so that we can be your people uh, bringing your kingdom to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.